Hello, and welcome to Relative Pitch, a podcast about music, culture, and society from a young perspective. Our initiative is to bring fresh new ideas to the music field. Here are your hosts, Lauren Green, Anthony Morris, and Michael Brown. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Ben. So our first question is, what are y'all doing to celebrate Black History Month? Well, I mean, uh, well, I guess it's starting with uh, right after this recording. Um, I am performing in a concert that is about Black History Month. Um, Indiana University, where I'm currently attending for my master's degree, um, because campus wasn't open for Martin Luther King Day, they moved it to Valentine's Day. So we're doing a concert today, and I'm in a euphonium quartet where we'll be playing a piece that was arranged by a black musician, my euphonium professor, Dr. Mondre Thurman. And we're gonna be playing there later today. Uh, and there will, of course will be a recording out afterwards. Yeah, and so for me, I'm actually gonna be on a program with the Tulsa Symphony with, um, with uh, William Grant's Dill and um, Adolphus Hales Dork, which is gonna be really fun and so, uh that concert's coming up and then i'm actually trying to get into more um black classical um black classical composers that i'm not very familiar with so i'm looking at some george walker things right now i'm trying to get more into um into florence price and others i love the walker quintet and i love hell storks uh variation for solo trumpet it's great so a little bit to start off the episode after that is can y'all tell us a little bit about your musical journey your bios how you got to where you are now uh so yeah i um i'm currently working on uh completing a master's here at the university of georgia in music composition my, uh, my undergraduate is in tuba euphonium performance. And so um, I've been composing for almost um, about 12 years of my life. And so um, over that time, I've been very fortunate to get to work with lots of wind bands, be, um, lots of orchestras, chamber groups, and um, have my music um, played all over the world. So it's really been a journey. And um, uh, as far as everything else, I mean, I'm currently trying to figure out um, where to continue my journey to get a DMA or PhD in composition, um, going through that process right now. And so I just love collaboration. I love working on new concepts and, and, um, and new ideas. And so um, I, I, uh, I can't wait to see sort of what happens in the next few years. Yeah, and for me, um, as I mentioned, I'm currently doing my master's degree at Indiana University. Um, actually in euphonium performance right now. Um, I did my undergrad at Columbus State University in music ed um, and performance. And I also did a certificate in composition there, which is really where my composition journey began in my undergrad. Um, I worked on a little bit of, of stuff kind of, you know, when I was in high school, kind of dabbled in, but I, I mostly kind of got my footing arranging a lot of things and then decided, well, you know, I got some ideas of my own. Why not try to flesh those out a little bit more? Um, but yeah, uh, in the last year, really six months, um, I've, that really things have started to take me more in the direction of, of composition. And it's just been wild to, to experience it all and just to, to see where things are going because, 
And I find myself at a point right now where even though, as I mentioned, my degree is euphonium performance, I find myself more dealing with, with composition and, and working with that studio and in my lessons with that. But yeah, I'm excited to see where things go. Awesome. Um, so one of my first questions that I want to ask are, is it, I'm kind of jumping right in here. So is it hard trying to compose like fresh new music when there's already so much music that's out there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think to a degree, um, a lot of us as composers, we, we, we put pressure on ourselves sometimes to want to, to live up to an expectation, I suppose. But I feel like for me, I find solace in the point of view that, you know, though there's been, though there's a lot of music out there and there's a lot of music, there's a lot of concert music out there for everything that there's not a whole lot of me out there. There's not a whole lot of my voice. Um, and I feel like that therefore that what I have to say and what I can contribute to the repertoire uh, can be significant. And it means that much to me to be able to do that. So. Yeah, it's hard, but but I also find joy in it as well. Yeah, just to um, to echo what he said, I think for me, I'm always really fascinated with sort of what new things are happening, what new sounds are being created, and um, more and more of uh, of of people who look like me um, who are doing really awesome things, and so um, I think with me coming up with ideas is more so something that comes to me really naturally. Um, and it's, it's my, my whole thing is sort of slowing down my process to not like try to rush through certain ideas, but to really process and to, to figure out how to make those work. But with, with each piece and with, with more time, I mean, I'm, I'm working to be, more, um, um, to be more true to myself, to be more authentic, to be unapologetic about who I am and, um, uh, a lot of the recent pieces have sort of been coming out of that vein. And so um, I'm just, I'm excited to sort of see like how much more can I tap into that and how much more um, um, black voices can continue to be echoed in the future. Wow, um, I have um, a similar question that is kind of based off of that is, what is y'all's inspiration to continue on to compose um, like what experiences have you been through um, that kind of leads you into writing some of your um, newest works or older works or anything like that? What are some of your inspiration? And let's go with Kevin, you can go first. Yeah, I for this most recent work that I've done, which is this concerto for wind ensemble, it's, it's really me going back to my roots and um, um, taking those roots and mixing them with this musical knowledge, I guess, that I've, I've been able to learn over the years. It, it all goes back to my parents being like, my dad uh, was a hip hop producer in the 1980s in Southern California. And, and my mom was a gospel singer from, um, from West Virginia. So those two influences have always played a big role into my life, even before I got into band and even before um, I got into classical music. So now it's sort of me those those influences mixed with like things i learned later like jazz and r&b mixed with um contemporary classical or avant-garde jazz and all sorts of stuff i mean it's it's all sort of merging together in, into this fusion and so that's that is what i'm what i'm hoping to continue to embrace 
Yeah, and I can echo some of those same sentiments from for me that um, just I think my inspiration comes from many different places and and in some ways I can say my music in a lot of ways doesn't necessarily sound the same yet that I wouldn't necessarily say that that um, I have a particular voice because uh, you know I have one piece for instance right now um, that uh, stutter step that was the unaccompanied euphonium piece that's completely aspired by by Piazzolla and a lot of that comes from one of my one of my closest friends in my undergrad um, who's also a composer and euphonium player he just got his master's up in Fredonia um, but he was obsessed with tango music and Piazzolla <laughs> for a good, good like two three four years maybe the whole time we were in our undergrad and wow. um, there was actually one of my other one of my early pieces was legitimately inspired and written for him mm -hmm. um, and kind of like that kind of started my love for that so there's a piece that that is dedicated to that love and then but then there's also another piece that, uh, that I just finished that's going to be premiering this summer that more details will be coming out um, as that ensemble is rehearsing that piece as we speak today right now um, but uh, let's go but that piece is completely different and is more about kind of the anxieties and unnerving just everything <laughs> of 2020 and life and that piece has a lot of uh influences from contemporary music and a lot of uh, a little bit more um i would almost even say uh 20th century orchestral type sounds um that's completely <laughs> different and then at the same time i'm also working on another piece right now that's that's kind of more in the vein of hip-hop and jazz and the music that i grew up listening to you know uh, i didn't neither my family um or at least my parents were were musicians neither of them were but you best believe you know still went to church every sunday hearing the gospel music you best believe my dad played gospel music in the car every single time um yep. you best believe back in the day i was listening to my fair share of hip-hop and rap you know and all of that so like it's all there it's just all part of the culture and and i think that's one of the things that i'm really excited about with this piece and maybe even some others going forward of being able to tap into kind of what really got me in love with music early on um, in my youth. Nice, nice. It's always good to see what like inspiration and what voices go into your compositions. Is there any like particular composers alive or dead that you have studied or um, performed that has made you look at composition differently or looked at like, like I know for me, I love playing works by Mahler, but I'm never gonna compose because I cannot do that at all. So I was wondering if y'all have listened to these compo composers like, oh my God, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, um, so I just mentioned Piazzolla for one of my pieces, but um, I think uh, most recently um, in talking about the piece that I just finished, a composer like that for me would be um, Shostakovich and how I was um, working on a piece and working on rep for that and how um, uh, right now I'm actually also like um, kind of been really digging into his string quartets and I think last semester in one of my classes I wrote a I wrote a paper on his 13th symphony so like having that type of ready influence right there for me um, while also like writing this piece at the same time kind of influenced some of those ideas. So those would be some of my big influences right now as far as composers that I listen to. And when I listen to Shostakovich, I'm just like, man, 
how how is he doing this orchestration here and you know some of the really cool things that he does that he's able to bring out of those instruments it's just really inspired me i haven't written any orchestra pieces yet but uh, of course i've dabbled in it and it's like wow you know like that's that's one of the one of the first people that i go to study and look at of like how did he do this how did he create these sounds how does he make the ensemble sound the way that he does um and just being able to you know and especially because you know he writes in a way that even though there's a certain amount of um there, there's a certain amount of, con of contemporary features in his music but at the same time there's still um you know there's still melody there's still harmony there's still these things that are in it that make it compelling um and make it his own and i think those are the things that really inspire me about his music yeah shostakovich is is like He's amazing. <laughs> He's amazing. I'm a fan of him and Tchaikovsky as well. Uh, they both do some really cool things. Um, I think for me, the person's music who's really, I got into towards the latter half of my my undergrad, but was actually, his, he's a jazz composer named Kamasi Washington. And Kamasi, I'm a huge fan, Lauren just, <laughs> he's like, yes. Kamasi Washington is like a huge influence on me i think after hearing his album the epic which is like this two and a half album jazz like this this jazz um album that was just really creative and really uh progressive i just i vibe to that so much and i was just like oh my god like i don't know how he came up with these charts or these ideas or or whatever so I'm a fan. I mean, so hopefully I get to meet him one day. That'd be cool. He's 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 pretty awesome. But I, I think his 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 music definitely changed the game as far yeah. as um, jazz composition. Um, I was lucky enough to see him live. Um, he came to Atlanta. <laughs> uh, it yes. was after the twenty, I think, eighteen Columbus State Conducting Symposium. I drove from Columbus all the way up to see him live. And oh, that's amazing. My favorite concert I've ever been to. Anybody mm -hmm. who's listening to this, go listen to Kamazi Washington. <laughs> I I said, now I am not a composer whatsoever. Um, like, no, you do not want me writing any anything. But there, <laughs> there is this one piece that I always said should be a I should be like a wind ensemble piece. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I showed it to Michael. I think I showed it to Lauren. And it, it just sounds that way. And I hope I meet him one day to be like, can I just have this sheet music? It's probably not written down, but can <laughs> I, just have it so I can just kind of start doing something. Because mm -hmm. it is so good. I'm going to play it for y'all later, later, so that y'all can hear it too. So I might have to employ one of y'all to do the arrangement, but <laughs> that's what I'm going to need to happen. That's exactly what I'm going to need to happen. But I'm going to let Lauren go ahead and ask her a question. Sorry, I had to geek out real quick. <laughs> Okay, so um, we all know like what's kind of been happening politically in the world like lately this past year and everything. So um, I guess one of the questions I have is like, you know, are there things you avoid in your compositions or try to avoid due to a fear of like, you know, backlash or, you know, rejection? Because I know that with compositions, it's something that is supposed to be super personal to you. And, you know, us being African-Americans, it's like, we have to live through all of this. This is something that's a part of who we are. And so is it hard trying to, I guess, do you even try to separate it or do you just put it all into it actually, you know? I love this. 
I think I think with me, this has been something I've I've been dealing with within the last year or two, um, because I ended up writing a piece that sort of was a was a precursor to everything that happened in 2020. Um, I wrote this piece called More Than Words, and it's a piece about my observations as a young black man in this country. And I was very scared to do this piece initially because I'm literally putting my thoughts out there on things. I'm putting my opinions out there. And it's a composition that asks a lot of questions. And I think it, this, this was written in November of 2019, which is really crazy because it, I think the piece has taken on a whole new meaning now that it's 2021 after everything that happened last year. Um, it's, it's, it's almost, it, it almost in a way kind of, kind of like, like, uh, uh, for, uh, for, foreshadowed what, what took place in a way. So I think with me, I, I do, I, that, that was a big conversation I just struggled with internally, which was just like, I know not everyone who listens to this piece is going to get it. And in a way I, I have to be okay with that. And I have to just know that. For the ones that do, then I I sort of see music as this gateway to conversations or to even creating small change or large change eventually. So I think for me, it's 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 a thing I'm getting more and more comfortable with now, uh, being it's been a while. But um, there's a new piece I have coming out that is called Requiem for the Unarmed. That is 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 a piece I wrote for Wind Ensemble. That's, that, that was supposed to be premiered this month, actually, but has been pushed to 2022 due to COVID. Um, and it's, it's, it's uh, probably my darkest wind band composition that I've written in terms of the, the subject matter and is a way to memorialize uh, uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others. And so I think, once again, I know that not everyone is going to agree with this piece, just like not everyone agreed with the previous one, but this is this is important to me. It means a lot, and it's a way of self-expression um, to those who may not be able to express themselves in this way. Yeah, um, I mean, does it affect the way I write? I mean, I feel like no. Um, similarly i'm also writing a piece right now that is that is i guess memorializing some of the things that happened last year and the events um and i remember similarly it, it was it was hard for me to even agree to write it uh the person that asked me to do it he asked me literally like i think a week after the initial protest began and i didn't officially say yes until like September. <laughs> it took me a couple of months. And and just in general, part of that was also because throughout um, much of the opening months of the pandemic through like, you know, March, April, May, June, July, maybe even August, it was just tough to write music in general, you know, just because as we were all getting used to what was the normal or what was becoming the normal and what in a lot of ways still is the normal that it was hard to feel inspired um, to really do anything. Um, 
and particularly writing music was hard and was something that, that I left on the back burner. Um, I know like, and it's funny because like it all started where um, right before the pandemic, uh, Anthony, I was writing a piece for you. Um, and um, that piece was also similarly kind of about kind of our culture and things. Um, and unfortunately it didn't get premiered because of COVID and we had to move it back kind of indefinitely at this point, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But um, still, so working on this piece, I think has has been, or this this piece that this commission is is a duo for euphonium and tuba, and then I'm having electronics in it as well. And it's it's been really hard to write this piece because similarly, I know not everyone's going to agree with it, but I think it was something where for me, you know, I I, I generally am not very great with explaining myself sometimes, or at least I don't like to, um, because I feel like I don't have to, or for whatever the reasons may be. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, music can be an outlet to be able to do that, to be able to explain myself. So ultimately I did agree to write this piece because I felt like this was probably the best way for me to get all of my emotions out of unpacking, not just the events of 2020, but just like how it feels to, to be a black male and to be a black American. Um, and all that entails emotionally and, and it does, and the piece is not necessarily bright and positive, if I'm being quite frank. Um, the piece is still not done yet. It's probably about 50, 60% done. We're getting there. Um, and it's also just fun because I'm dabbling in electronics for really the first time as well, but the piece is not particularly happy. Um, at least for the brunt of it and a lot of it even for the electronics i decided to to even take from and manipulate speeches and things and i think particularly when i was doing that research in september october around really in the midst of election season that i was spending that doing a whole lot of research of listening to a bunch of different speeches whether it have been of black lives matter stuff going all the way back to trayvon martin because we all know it didn't start last year and started six, seven, eight years ago. Um, and for even a part of that piece, uh, the piece opens with even quotes from the civil rights period. So I was kind of listening, comparing and contrast speeches from both eras um, and just trying to, and just like that, that whole process of listening to Angela Davis talk about something or listening to Malcolm X or Martin Luther King talk about something or James Baldwin and then also listening to to Tamika Mowry talk about it 40 50 mm. years later and it's just like mm. wow it really put me it really puts put me in a surreal place to to just experience that and, and to you know especially over those few weeks because in general too for me personally I was in a low point so to hear that not only it put things in perspective i think it was also in some ways inspiring um but getting back to the piece of putting all of that together i know that this piece is not going to be something that's going to be for everyone um and similarly i had to re reach my peace with that that that's what it's going to be um, but that doesn't mean that this piece is any less significant or important just because not everyone's going to like it. And I think that's in general something that as composers that we all have to grip with 
this, that, yeah. no matter what the content or, uh, or the context of the piece is going to be, not everyone's going to like it. Or even just the, just the, the fact of not every piece that you write is going to be the magnum opus masterpiece, you know, that all of those things of having to gripe with, Hey, not everything's going to be, you know, because especially for us, cause we're not pop artists. So not everything's going to be a number one on the billboards. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like, yeah. So it's just like, you know, this is what I'm doing and this is what I can contribute. And I feel it's important. And there's probably going to be someone else that feels, or actually, no, we know there's other people that feel it's important because they're paying for it. Because <laughs> they commissioned it, right? So it's yeah. just like, well, you know, so therefore it has a purpose. And and I try to find that type of positivity in it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, first, first thing that I came to my head is when you said about you went back and listening to speeches from different parts, civil rights, um, to all the way into the 90s and even now. It's funny that, because um, I did something very similar um, with Rodney King, going back and listening to the speeches of there. And literally the same thing, and it, uh, it was me and my friend who were talking about Living Single, and it had an episode that was based off of Rodney King. And some of the same things they were talking about in there is very similar to what we're saying right now. And so um, it begs the question, are we moving in the right direction in society in general? And I think that Black experience throughout all of us, we, we ask that question and sometimes we don't get a too definite answer. It definitely has these wavy in the middle of the lines. Um, but the second thing, I promise I will finally do that piece Catch me in my, my master's conducting recital. It will definitely be on the repertoire list, okay? I promise you that. I'm sorry, COVID happened. I was so looking forward to finally premiering that piece um, because it was a great piece. I was, you know, I love spirituals. And it's funny that me and you connected about, you know, doing something for our culture. Then COVID happened and then all of the uproar happened over the summer so it was kind of like just like Kevin was saying it was kind of like a precursor foreshadowing what was going to happen it's just weird how we have this type of sixth sense thing going on um yeah. but I just yeah. want to say both to both of you you are an inspiration to all of us because we were all in band we were all in music growing up and there was not a lot of composers who looked like us and so I would say in the last five or so years, there's been a, an emergence of Black creators, Black composers, Black artists. Um, and I want to know from your perspective, how has that been? Um, have you been open with great arms? Um, how is it, you know, being in the medium with other people where legit everyone that came before you is a white old man and that is legit it. So how is it from your perspective? I mean, I think Kevin can speak a little bit more on this, uh, but um, for, for the little bit that I've experienced, particularly in the last year, I think, you know, like some underground moments that kind of happen is that, for instance, I mentioned a piece that I wrote that was inspired by Piazzolla called Stutter Step. And unofficially, I was told and kind of got it confirmed unofficially that it is the first piece on the Leonard Falcone International Euphonium solo competition that was an original piece for Euphonium by a Black composer to ever be on the list. And, 
and that competition's been around for I don't know how many decades at this point. But I mean, but it was an unofficial thing that that I heard about, and like it's it's been really cool to to think about that. But also, it's like wow, it kind of took this long. Um, but you know, I think in a lot of ways, it's it's been really nice to kind of have that um, open arms to a degree. I think of hey. Uh, let's get this piece on this list and this piece is on this list or now that, you know, like that, because particularly that was the moment that kind of turned it for me of like, hey, write me, can you write me a piece? Can you write me a piece? And that really kind of opened doors for me is getting that piece on that list. Um, and yeah, I think it's been really cool and fun to be a part of it and just to, to have more voices around um, that are like us and more that are um, getting their due because there hasn't been enough. And, you know, the fact that it took to 2021 for that, and granted, you know, euphonium is not the most popular instrument or whatever, but I'm sure like the, you could probably count on a hand or two, you know, for many of the other big competitions for more common instruments about, you know, for probably the same thing of if ever there's ever been a black composer on this list. And if so, there's probably hasn't been very many. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've liked the the embrace so far of having music out there and getting opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and and really, congrats, man! That is that is super cool, super awesome. Um, as a tube euphonium player, or I guess now a former tube euphonium player, like that that's that's cool. That's 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 really cool. Um, I I'd, I'd say for me, I have I've definitely been greeted with open arms and um it's i've had the chance to to meet valerie coleman and to meet carlos simon omar thomas um quincy hilliard just uh, just just really wonderful wonderful people and in a way they've they've been really like mentors to me and um have have just sort of helped me to to sort of to get a grasp of what it's like to 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 write in the wind band world and the orchestral world and and how does all this stuff work and it's it's really been a i've i've been sort of welcomed into this community which has been really awesome of of composers and of directors and of conductors as well and so um i i'm i'm really really grateful to that i think the piece that sort of uh, put things out there was 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 kind of the euphonium concerto working with Demandre Thurman on that piece who's considered one of the best euphonium players in the world who's also a a wonderful african-american educator um, changed my life that that was my first big piece to do my first concerto to do and um, we ended up getting the chance to premiere that piece at the CBDNA conference this national conference which um, typically is is not very diverse in terms of of programming and and that piece got um on the program and so it's just it's it's been real crazy to see how things um have unfolded since that happened um so yeah i'm i'm very optimistic about the future and um it's it just it it feels good to feel like i do in a sense belong Y'all both talked about like your um I think it was stutter step for the Falcone, correct? Ben, and then your PC just a concerto. How has it been before those? Because I'm assuming before you were trying to get your music out there. I know like as a performer, it's hard to get ourselves out there because people are already established. 
or like sectional coaches. People are already established. Anthony's an educator. There's already a lot of band directors. And I feel like composers have a harder time because there's always music to already be played. It's usually people looking to play the music, not looking for new music. So how has been your journey to break into the industry and become a music entrepreneurial? Well, I guess my journey has been a little bit unique in a way to where, um, yeah, getting to this point was hard for me uh, as far as being a composer, um, where a lot of like probably the things that I did of note prior to Stutter Step were competitions, particularly um, where um, the last time there was an international tube euphonium conference in person in 2019, I had a piece performed there. Um, but that piece didn't get a whole lot of traction, but it was still there. Um, and then um, I remember I also won another competition and got Charlie Vernon from the Chicago Symphony to play a piece of mine. Uh, I think the year before that, um, in 2018. But I think for me, a lot of kind of, even though those pieces didn't quite gain a whole lot of traction, I think part of the thing for me too was also just the fact that I always kind of dabbled in many, many different things where um, on top of being a composer, I was a music ed major in my undergrad and I was on track to be a band director and I was a band director before I started this master's degree. And, and for those couple of years that I was teaching, my output as a composer and my attention to marketing myself basically dropped off the face of the earth. And I just didn't really put much effort into that at all anymore because, you know, I was focused on teaching and trying to be the best teacher that I could be. Um, so, so, so yeah, so it was like, as far as my journey goes, just getting there, I think it's, in some ways it's been, it's been interesting just because I think in my undergrad, I always kind of viewed composition as kind of a side thing that I was doing for fun or not necessarily for fun, but just doing it because I loved doing it and it was fun. But then as other things came along, um, you know, those kind of took the forefront. And then ultimately, you know, I made the decision that, um, being a public school band director wasn't um, something that I felt like I was meant to do right now. So um, I decided to, to go back to school and do other things. And here comes composition all again. And all it takes, I think, you know, as Kevin and I have talked about, all it really takes is one piece, one piece to get the notoriety and, you know, that can change everything. And, you know, Kevin's been living in it for like over a year now or two years now almost. And I'm kind of just getting in living it for the last like six months or so. But, you know, I can definitely say that if you were to tell me that I would be doing what I'm doing now a year ago, um, I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, man. And I, I could have never foresaw any of this happening. Um, I, I think what's, it, with, with me, it's been a combination of a lot of things. I think um, I, I was lucky enough to go to a school, I think, where no one was really writing for band. <laughs> so that was the thing. It was like, there was kind of a door that a lot of my colleagues weren't really tapping into more so. A lot of them were writing for chamber groups or small things or, or choir, but no one was really writing for the bands. And so, I started really, I wrote my first piece my freshman year um, and I asked to, to get a reading 
just just to see what it would sound like outside of finale. And so that director programmed it, and then it ended up getting on a concert, which led to um, to the top director being like, "Okay, do you have any other pieces?" And so it it sort of turned into this continual thing of me working with with the bands at my um, at my undergrad. And so it's I think it's been sort of that word of mouth and and really i think like social media has also played a big role into everything um demandre when when we were doing the concerto recorded himself playing the 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 last part of the first movement didn't tell me he was doing this he just recorded the last part of the first movement and then puts it on social media on facebook captions this video kevin day is trying to kill all euphonium players that attempt his concerto and i'm just like why why <laughs> why and then i wake up the next morning this video has a hundred thousand views and it's been shared ridiculously and now it's it's i think that video is close to five hundred thousand views and almost like ten thousand reactions which is wild so that's never happened with a euphonium clip of a but it it just it just sort of took off like wildfire. So I, that was a moment none of us knew was gonna happen, but it did. So I think it's, it's been a combination of like social media, of trying to look for doors that people are not really like looking into and then competitions as well. I was entering a lot of contests as an undergraduate student. I got rejected by a lot of them, <laughs> but there was a lot where there's a few that I got very lucky, but it, there's a lot of rejection letters <laughs> that came. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's what's been been really helpful is over the last few years, sort of getting this um, this support network of people who 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 want to collaborate and who want to work. So. Yeah, so kind of going off of that, so last week we did an episode uh, with uh, Dr. William Lake and Dr. R.S. Golden, um, where we, which amazing, amazing, amazing people. It was such an amazing episode. If you haven't Love them. Love them. Go watch it. It was, it was so great. Um, and one of the things that I think it was Dr. Lake, or it, it was a conversation we were having just about, you know, how being in higher ed, um, that's also a new thing, seeing a lot of our faces within higher ed for music especially um and so you know this episode with it being you know called the power and privilege of composition something i kind of wanted to ask was you know can you speak on like what privilege you may have seen amongst other you know non-minority composers you know colleagues that you have seen and also with you both being male like what privilege you may have over you know minority women composers I know that's a lot to uh, to unpack. <laughs> Take your time. I'll put in Jeopardy music um, during this <laughs> during this part. Did you see how they have the same? They have the same like hand. But they're just like, hmm. No, it's a it's a really good question. It's just it is a lot to unpack. Um, You know, and I, I say this, I guess, because, you know, with me being, you know, I have the intersectionality of being not only a female, but also like a, a African-American woman. And this was something that got brought up last week in our conversation with Dr. Um, Dr. Golden and Dr. Lake as well. And it was something where, you know, their words were more on the lines of, 
you are who you are and like no one can do you the way that you can do you. And I absolutely believe that. Um, and they, you know, obviously still said there, there are problems with the system that we still currently have. And it's just, it's a situation, it's an ongoing thing. And the more and more we infiltrate, and I think either, even Dr. Lake mentioned something about when he gets to a table, he makes sure, okay, are there Dr. Goldens here? Are there more people who he can personally bring up, you know, who he has the privilege to push now into it? Like, that's kind of like, that's how he explained it, you know, using the privilege to bring others who don't have your privilege to the light. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that can be improved upon. It's good to see that we, that we are having more. Um, I mean, it leads me to think about it, uh, just the interesting situation that I am in here in Indiana, where, you know, the euphonium professor that I study with primarily, Demondre Thurman, is also a black male and also the director of bands at, J at the Jacobs School of Music is Rodney Dorsey, who is also a black male. And then one of the orchestra directors, uh, Dr. Thomas Wilkins, is also a black male. And I just feel like for for especially a university of this caliber and a school of music, particularly of this caliber and this and this size, to have people, particularly uh, Dr. Wilkins and Dr. Dorsey, at those positions in this type of university um, is quite unique and is not something that we have a whole lot of. I mean, can you, I mean, how many other schools that would be considered big music schools, particularly in our country, that are not HBCU schools? that can say that at least one of their band directors and one of their orchestra directors are black. Um, and even still, when you when you look at the rest of, of the faculty here at Indiana University, of course, I talked about mine, but then also, of course, you have Otis Murphy uh, teaching saxophone as well here. So it's a unique situation, um, but at the same time, you know, every person that I just named are also all black males. Um, and, we could, we, we definitely need more of black females and, and everything um, yeah. all around. And it's not just even, you know, yeah, we're, we're talking about, about black people because it's Black History Month, but also just in general, the more minorities too, uh, that we can have in, in all these positions is, is incredibly important. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. And I love um, William Lake's point about like using your like using privilege that you have to to sort of help bring people up. I think that's that's in a way how how I've gotten to this point. I've had a lot of people who who mentored me and who who've helped me, you know, navigate how this like to how to even do any of this because like I didn't even think like any of this was possible that you could be a composer that you can write the music that you want to write and that you can um, have a platform in a way to help others. So I think that's the that's what we need more of is like more people to use their platforms, especially like um, like minority composers. Use that to help bring forward the next generation of composers, the next generation of conductors, of educators. Um, so all of that is really important. And yes, we 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 do need more um, black female representation as well. And um, I'm lucky to know. Um, to know a few up and coming composers who are really killing it right now. And I, I'm just very excited to see what they're going to do. One of them being like Jordan Davis, who currently um, works up at MSU. She's writing some really cool music and um, 
there's just there's I'm excited to see just this horizon of new voices that we've never heard before. I think that's what makes the future really exciting. To piggyback off of that extremely heavy but awesome question, we're going to go to something a little lighter, <laughs> just a little, <laughs> give your brains a little break. How did each of you go about choosing your respective schools, UGA and IU? Like what went in your decision thought process? Why did you were like, this is a school where I can see myself grow for the next two years? Like what all went into that um, process and decision making? I think with me choosing UGA was a very long process. I had some other schools in mind that I was looking at. And um, when it came down to things, it came down to UGA and another institution. And I, I decided to come here for a few reasons. I think one, um, back in 2019, actually 2018, I was invited to UGA as a guest composer because they were playing one of my pieces. Um, and so the Hudson Wind Ensemble did uh, did a piece of mine. They flew me in, and I got to meet everyone. I got to talk to the uh, to the composition faculty there. I got to meet people, and it just it seemed like a really chill place. It seemed like people were just 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 vibing. There was no contention. There was no one like like um, you know there there wasn't a feeling of like cutthroat competition in a way. It it just seemed like it could be a very chill place, and so. I did some thinking about it because obviously, I mean, I'm from Texas. I don't know nothing about Georgia, <laughs> except I know Atlanta, but like, I didn't know nothing about Athens and what that meant. But I, in hindsight, I look back at this choice and I'm like, I would have never created more than words if I didn't come to UGA. I would have never gotten the chance to work with some of the people who've, um, have changed my worldview in a, in a sense about how I view things if I didn't come here. Um, so it, it, it's a place where I'm grateful that I did choose to come here, um, despite maybe what a lot of people would have wanted me to do at the time. <laughs> so I think it's, it's this, the thing about this place is there's a lot here that is changing. There's a lot about progression, about inclusion, about equity. All these conversations are happening right now here and at the Hugh Hudson School of Music. And so I'm a part of these conversations now and I'm, I'm meeting with different people in the higher administration and I'm a part of these discussions. So I, I just see it as it's a place that is growing and it's a, it's a place that is becoming more inclusive to all. Yeah, um, for me, it's an interesting situation about how I chose my school. I mean, similarly, as I spoke about before, that I always kind of kept my options open of where my career was going to go and what I was selecting um, my graduate school destination, at least for now. Um, it was before stutter step. So it was before kind of that boom happened and where uh, at a time where I wasn't really committed to composition being a full-fledged path, at least at that point. Um, so when I was auditioning for grad school, you know, I knew, as I said, that I, that I didn't want to do the public school band director thing, at least at that time. So I was looking for essentially, you know, a reason to go back to school and kind of doing it in a way that it was like, well, it doesn't matter what I get in for. I just want to go in and study with the people that I want to go in. So when I applied, I actually applied for different programs, not even just different schools. Not only did I apply for um, 
uh, euphonium performance, which is ultimately what my major is, but I also applied to places for composition. I also applied to places for conducting as well and actually got to do some auditions um, for all of those things. You know, I can definitely say having an audition um, season, if you will, where on one hand, I was preparing, playing euphonium rep that was like up for Falcone that year um, and to play euphonium and trying to practice as much as I could. But at the same time, I was also score studying to conduct the Hindemith Symphony for one of my conducting auditions. And oh, at the wow. same time, also <laughs> writing, a, writing a piece and making sure my portfolio was good, right? Um, and then at the same time, somehow trying to find time to be a band director. Oh yeah, by the way. How um, did you do that? Oh my goodness. I don't know wow. how I did it, but you know what? I'm still alive. And you know <laughs> you what? The, the, those auditions were fun. And it did come to a point where at the end, I had my choice. I could have went to X and X school for conducting. I could have went to, I actually, yeah, I could have went to X and X school for conducting, X and X school for performance um, or competition position, et cetera. And I think ultimately what it came down for me was I chose Indiana University because number one, and this kind of took out one or two schools, I, I knew I wanted to get a unique type of environment where, um, granted this was at the very beginning of the pandemic where we didn't know that COVID was actually gonna be going on this long. But um, it was at a point where I was like, well, I kind of, you know, my undergrad school was a relatively smaller school, so I wanted to get a bigger school environment. So that was number one, a part of my choice. And then ultimately, I think one of the biggest things, you know, I mentioned about the unique situation of, of the director of bands and one of the orchestra directors being Black and getting to study with Demandre. That, those things were very much on my mind in the decision <laughs> process. Those weren't just things that I was just talking about. Oh, now that I'm here, you know, this is great. This is a situation. No, I was very much aware of that when I applied of the situation that I was getting into. And furthermore, for Demandre, for me, that um, it's actually a full circle moment where him and I have had our connections going back to when I was in high school, um, where I actually auditioned to study with him for my undergrad. Um, but due to different circumstances, I ended up not going. Um, and this was kind of a full circle moment of like, hey, I have a second chance to study with someone who growing up in high school was like, hey, this man's my hero because he's someone that looks like me. And not only does it look like me, but he, he oh, he's a great euphonium player, right? So oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. for me, that, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a big part of the decision of like, hey, <laughs> it's not many times in life you get a second chance to do something that yeah. for a long time I really wanted to do so that plus knowing the situation and the environment of, of, of the director of bands in the orchestra and being out and saying well maybe I can try to like hint hit nudge nudge be like hey you know I did get a couple conducting spots maybe I could you know you know kind of kind of at least <laughs> like um just pick their brains and just but also all jokes aside to be able to pick their brains and talk about you know, with them, what was it like for you to get to where you were and to have those different perspectives from those different positions? And I mean, and even then, Demandre has his his conducting background as well, where he's conducted some orchestras and his tenure at different universities. Um, 
and he studied it as well. So to be able to kind of have that connection and 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 also knowing that, you know, with that, I talked about Demondre having his conducting background, he also conducts or runs the brass band, the brass choir here too. And, and that was also kind of part of it of like, well, you know, I can kind of help that out as well. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had brass band, so that hasn't really happened. But it's but it's still been something that's been talked about. Um, so for me, it was kind of it really came down to that environment of like, hey, there there are some opportunities here for me to to get to know people um, that are in fields that I'm interested in um, that look like me, and there are not many other universities of this caliber that I could get that from even though maybe or maybe or maybe not I wanted to get a conducting degree more than I wanted a performance degree at the time um I still felt like hey even though I can agree I want it was more important to me to go and be in that environment that seemed too good to be true that I felt like I needed to be there um and things and, and anything else that happens will happen because at the same time, you know, you know, I'm still here. I'm still at a great university and I'm getting a good education. And, and if something is going to happen for me and it's meant to be, it'll happen. But yeah, it really came down to the environment for me. Yeah. Kind of, kind of going with that really fast. I think as a composer, it's like having the environment to be able to create what you really want to do to sort of challenge challenge like your ideas and also challenge the people around you i think I, I it's that's a big part of of choosing an institution i think and and that's you want to be in a place where you have that you have the ability to learn from those people and also just to like to to, to be able to feel like you have a home in that place i know like i i definitely feel like i have a home here you probably feel like you have a home at indiana where you just feel like you're in a really supportive environment. I think that's very crucial to any composers or just to any, to any college student in general. Definitely. Um, first, I want to say, Ben, I'm so glad that we were your friends at that moment of your big choice of where you wanted to go. Cause I, I, would text you be like, okay, what do you think now? Or what do you think now? After this audition, what's going on now? Tell me what's yeah. going on. And legit was I was just, I was just so happy for wherever you're going to go. I was always like, Ben, you're gonna do fantastic things. So I'm so glad that is working out for you in your favor. I'm so, 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 so proud. Um and our our relationship started literally all the way in Colorado, which is so weird. Yeah. We are all from Georgia. And then it took us to be in Colorado for us to be like, hey, hey. So I'm so, 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 so proud of you and congrats on all your things. And Mr. Kevin, this is our first time meeting, but I love something you said about UJ being so uh, really deep conversations, conversations of uh, inclusivity and everything. And that brings me to our next thing. We're gonna have uh, CJT on the podcast next month. And I know yes. great. Yes. I love her to death. I've had conversations with her before. Yeah. Um, she uh, she is the exact person who we we just love, 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 and I can't wait to have her on there. Um, you will you will not be disappointed. It's, oh yeah, she's she's really fantastic. Yes, I love her. And also, you're a Texas boy in Georgia town, which 
all four of us are from Georgia. So welcome to being in the Peach State. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> I hope you. you are enjoying your time in Georgia. Yeah. Here it's cold and rainy up there right now, but it is. It, it's it, it's been raining like crazy. It, so hopefully we get some sun soon. Yes, yeah. yes. And so for my last question for both of you is, what is some inspiration that you would give students who are thinking about specifically black students who are thinking about becoming composers? Um, what is some inspiration that you would give to that person? Um, I mean, I think the biggest advice that I, that I can give is don't think of yourself as inferior or insignificant. Um, it's, it's very easy to think that, especially for people that look like us, it's very easy to think that what we do doesn't matter. It's very easy to fall into, and this also goes for all musicians, of falling into an imposter syndrome of your voice not being important enough or big enough. Um, and that ultimately at the end of the day, it's, I think the biggest advice that I can give is that you are your own biggest critic, but you are not the determinant at the end of whether it really matters. Leave that to everyone else. Leave that to the others. Let quiet that critic that crit that critical voice inside your head because that voice can succumb you. It it can swallow you up and it can detract you from doing something that could be a magical experience for you. You just have to be open enough to let it in and to let it happen. But don't be afraid to to speak your mind, to let your voice be heard. Because there's probably somebody out there. There's how many billion people that live on this earth? There's someone that you can speak to. Yeah, and uh, for, wow, that was powerful, man. Um, I would say to go along with that too, I think what I would tell those composers is, I think the, these two kind of things go hand together, but love yourself and find your community. Love yourself and find your community. I think both of those things have been things that have helped me tremendously. I, I went through a lot of periods of like self-hate and just self um, um, esteem being low and things like that. And I think me finding my community ultimately helped me to love myself even more. And in this world, not a lot of people will, will love you or love your music or love what you stand for. But in a way, your, your community, those people who really support you will. So I would say lean on that as you, as you begin your journey um, as composers and as educators and as musicians and, um, and push that, uh, um, be able to push that forward to your kids that you work with and be able to love on them as well. I love that. You, I mean, you both just said some really inspiring things and I hope that there's someone out there who hears a message like that and they go, okay, this, this is my sign. This is, 
the push that I needed to keep going forward. Um, something that in, uh, something that has been a big thing that we discuss on this show is really like the music community's role within history, politics, and like how music has been used um, to sometimes uh, mortalize and preserve history throughout time. The book club series we're doing, Wagnerism by Alex Ross, is all about that. It's all about that. And um, we even did a specific episode on the music uh, community's role within politics. So for you as composers, do you feel as if it's a responsibility of yours to immortalize or preserve history within your compositions? We're just getting the good questions today. <laughs> They got their hand going on. They're mm -hmm. thinking. Yes. They're thinking. There's, there's thought happening. I can tell. Good. Can tell. No, it's a great question. Um, to immortalize history, is it our responsibility? Um, to a certain degree, yes. Um, there should always be a respect for history. It's how we learn, and, and it's how we can in a sense, if we interpret it correctly, can move forward. I think, um, so yes. So to answer your question, mostly yes. Uh, but if I were to add, I think also to it, it's important for composers to really, I guess, push things forward with respect to the past. I think is probably the best way that I can put it where, um, as much as we we talk about the classics so much, you, know, you mentioned Faulkner and and everyone likes their Mozart or their Bach or their Beethoven or their Shostakovich, Tchaikovsky, et cetera, et cetera, names and names, all of them. Um, but at the same time, when you think about what those composers did in their lifetimes, that yeah, they probably they, they may or may not have known about what happened before them or what came before them, but ultimately what they did or what they were a part of, whether or not they led the movement or not, was that they were a part of a movement forward in music, or at least that's how we are taught that they were in, in our music history classes, which is a whole other thing. But, <laughs> but um, they, they, they had a responsibility to push things forward. And I think their responsibility to do that is what our responsibility is. Because ultimately what, what makes music evolve, which makes instrumentalists better. Like, yeah, the instruments are better than they were 200 years ago, but the other reason why they're, why music is the way it is now and why it's evolved so much is because composers have continued to push the boundaries time after time. And therefore, I think it, it's really important for composers to continue to do that, to push those boundaries, to few, whether that's fusing more things in, whether that's figuring out what instruments can do that they couldn't do before. Like that's, I think that's even more of a duty with, of course, a certain respect to the past of like, hey, this is how some people did it in the past. So obviously if it worked for them, it's probably going to work for us too. It's a good baseline to start with. It's a foundation, I think. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, those composers, you know, um, Kevin Day on his, on his uh, piano on the back, he's got a La La Land thing on, on sitting on his stand back there. And there's a quote in there in the movie that John Legend's character says when he's talking to one of the characters, like, 
he's bringing up old jazz musicians to to Ryan Gosling's character, and he's like, these guys, Thelonious Monk, etc., they they were revolutionaries. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? Um, and that speaks volumes to me, and I think connects to us as composers in the modern day because we remember those people. They have those names. The reason why we glorify and immortalize those people by their last names, why we just say Shostakovich, we don't say Dimitri. We say, hey, that boy Shostakovich. We don't say Wolfgang. We say that boy Mozart, right? The reason why we talk about them in that manner, why we immortalize them and why we put them on a pedestal is because what they did at the time and after they were gone, history has seen as significant and important and revolutionary and evolutionary. So what we need to do as composers today is to do the same thing. We do, of course, we don't know how we're going to do that. And nobody knows how, what's actually going to maintain and have staying power, but that's what it takes. So to answer your question again, yes, but only to a certain degree. Yeah, I love that answer. Love that answer. Um, I I agree as well. Yes, um, I see it more so as like we have to tell our stories. We there there's so many stories that have not been told. If we don't tell our stories, who will? So it's to me is is it's just like yes, push the boundaries. Yes. Let's let's keep pushing forward to the future while while like also taking into account where this music came from that we're utilizing now. But the stories that we've missed over the last you know hundred or so years, and even there there are some happening now. I just I think that there's the narrative is still being written. History is being written now every day, and so I think what I'm most excited about is to like see how composers will tell their stories how 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 does that relate to now where we are in 2021 how that will even relate 10 years from now when we have no idea what's going to happen so i i once again i'm excited i'm excited to hear more pieces by ben i'm excited to hear more pieces by quinn mason by jordan davis by um carlos simon by Omar Thomas, like Valerie Coleman, whoever, like I, I bring your story to the table. Let us hear your story because even though you may not think people may resonate with it, there is one person who will. There's one kid who will, or there may be a college student who will, or even an old man or old woman. So let us tell our stories. Let's 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 continue to make that a reality. Yeah, and I just, I just kind of want to add more to that, that I feel like to a degree, you know, when I, when I talk about that, of like revolutionizing or, or evolving with music, that perhaps that is the step, you know, particularly for us, you know, because when you look at the music history that we're taught in schools that I made allusion to earlier, what's missing is our story. That's what's always been missing. So maybe... Again, who knows? Maybe the evolution is our story being told. No one knows what the evolution is going to be, but that's a solution. You're gonna make me start shouting, dude. Just start. Where my organ is? Sermon. Like, what's going on? <laughs> can we? This is can awesome. We our Bibles. <laughs> like, what is going on? I love. Come it. on, come yes. on. 
Wait, come on. Right, right. Let me put my glasses oh, on like a mother of the church. Let me, let me read. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, keep going, Ben. Keep going. Keep going. Yes, y'all are both saying it. Yes, our stories have not been told at all. And it's just now beginning to be told by y'all. And yes. so we thank both of y'all for telling our stories and representing us because in the society, we are never represented in a good light for some reason, and we know the reason, but we are never really looked at as like, oh, of course they are on the top of this, of course. So thank you for telling our stories and telling only the stories that you can tell that is most authentic to you. So from us to y'all right now, thank you so much. It's amazing. Thank you. Yes. And like to everyone watching this, go look at like, check out their compositions and check out like the performances they already have of their compositions because yeah. they're amazing artists. Um, and we, you know, they deserve to have, you know, the most respect and the most, you know, light shown onto them and all the composers they also dropped as well um, within the, the episode, check them out as well. Um, so one of the last things we want to do before we let you guys go is a, a game called lightning round favorites and so the point of this is to kind of answer the questions as quickly as possible um and so <laughs> yeah so you, yeah i guess go ahead and uh, you can unmute yourselves and you know whatever order you want to go into uh that's completely fine so question number one if you could study with any composer or creator dead or alive who would it be Michael Jackson. Took my, I was gonna say. Okay, Prince. <laughs> wow, that was, okay, that was an interesting choice. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are both of your favorite compositions? They can be yours, but they also can be others. I'll see ten. Uh, Gorecki Symphony, Symphony Number Three, my favorite. Okay, favorite instrument or ensemble to compose for? Contrabassoon. Yeah. Bass trombone. See, <laughs> <laughs> low instruments, yes. <laughs> Answers, I like this. Um, favorite pieces to perform if you are currently performing or when you were performing? Are we talking future tense or past tense? <laughs> I'll say anything like jazz related, gospel, R&B, love, love all that stuff. So I think like, so anytime I can play that stuff, I'm happy. Uh, past, present, future tense. Uh, Anthony Barfield's Euphonium Concerto. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Anthony Barfield. Uh, yeah. We talked about him last on last episode. Yes. Um, if you could go back to the premiere of any piece, what would it be? Probably Rite of Spring. Ooh. I, do. I, do. I just want to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Um I woke up and chose chaos. Violence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say Maslanka Symphony Four if I would have been there for that mm -hmm. when it first yes. played. 
Okay, and then um, if you could, this is the last one. If you could have any ensemble in the world play your piece, which one would it be? They might get in trouble for this one. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any. Just not, not ensemble. Any. You should do the any as. Okay. Um, there's so Dang. many. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's a there's a few in my mind. I'm trying to decide between. Like, you can do multiple if you have like a uh, you know a consortium answer. type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. The Boston Symphony. Okay. I would have to say the LA. I'll say three. The LA Phil, the Dallas Winds, and the um, uh, New York Philharmonic. Mm. Okay, okay. That was a hard one. I know. <laughs> that, that was a really hard one. Some of them were like easy, others were like, ooh, I love LA it. Phil was also on my list, man. <laughs> Dallas Winds. Nope. Nope. They were all on my <laughs> list. Bro. I know that's what I was waiting for Royal Concertgebouw. Actually, the Royal Concertgebouw. Uh, <laughs> them too. I mean, look. Them too. I tell you this. <laughs> I tell you this. I would love to write like a hip hop symphony for a European orchestra and see what they no. do. Let's <laughs> see if they actually got the Let's style. Go. You Let's know go. What I'm yeah. If they got the style. Goals, <laughs> bro. Kevin, you with me, bro? Let's do it together. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm a. Hey. Hey, I'll put my five dollars in. I'll start tonight. Hello, Dollar. Oh my goodness! This has been a pleasure having both of you on our podcast, and I just want to say thank you so much for carving out this time. Um, I know our listeners are going to enjoy listening to y'all because y'all have really kind of dropped some knowledge today. Um, from your perspective so thank you so much thank you thank you and please uh, for everybody that is listening please continue um, listening for our Black History Month Um, next week we'll have some more for you of course and please 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 reach out to all our social medias we'll have everything that for Kevin and Ben will be down below so please go listen to their music they have some really good stuff so we'll see y'all next week bye Thank you for being a part of our conversation. You can learn more and reach out to us at relativepitchpodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to our listening platforms and follow us on our social media. See you next time.